It's a struggle. You've probably felt it at some point in the last two years. Depression, anxiety. This pandemic has affected most of us, but especially teenagers. And that's exactly why we're here today. Over the next half hour, we're going to break down the mental health issues that teens are facing and what we as parents, friends and loved ones can do to help. But first, we want to introduce you to Ainsley. She's a 17 year old junior in high school. She's battled mental health issues since a very young age. That's right. Ainsley has struggled with everything from anxiety to suicidal thoughts, and she opened up about her struggles in this one on one interview. Listen, my freshman year of high school, I was diagnosed with severe depression, anxiety, and a couple of eating disorders. I've you know, I've struggled for as long as I can remember. Uh, suicide has unfortunately been something that I've known since I was 10 years old. I was on the cheer team. I was involved in student council. I was in, I had all of my pre-AP classes. Um, I was, I was set to graduate and get into a good school and be ready for med school. Um, but over the summer going into my freshman year was when everything really started to go downhill. Do you think that it, that part of what, because I would imagine when parents watch this, they're going to think, oh my God, this could be my, you know, this could be, what if this happens to my kid? It seems like you were still keeping busy when you were struggling. So you, you were pretty good at masking it, right? Yes, absolutely. My mask was my greatest weapon and battling questions and are you okay sometimes I would socialize but I really saw it as just being there to get my job done which was receive my education and do a good job while doing that I just I began to lose myself but I knew that I still had to make sure that no one else knew that so a big smile always you know, I, I can do this, I can do that, throwing myself to be involved in whatever I could. But, you know, that's how I happened to, you know, go unnoticed for six years without receiving help is because I masked all of my emotions and the struggle that I was facing. You, you mentioned that in the fourth grade is when that, that suicidal ideation really started for you. That's shocking to a lot of people who hear that. Uh, what was it? Did you, did you hear of someone committing suicide? Um, you know, was depression an issue? Was there something happening at home or do you not know? You know, there's not one thing that I can pinpoint because it's not like one day you're like this right here. This is, this is it. Um, I mean, of course, there may be that breaking point, but to find one identifying factor as to what the cause of, you know, those emotions and those dark feelings are, it's, it's hard to do. It's really, really hard to listen to that. Yeah. And, and listen to her experience. To realize she's far from the only one right. experiencing it. As a matter of fact, next, we want to introduce the first part of our panel tonight. Joining us, Tally Dolge, she is the... She is the CEO of Mobile Mental Wellness Collaborative and Senior Vice President of School and Community Partnerships for Meadows Mental Health Policy Institute. Also, Tali, thank you for being with us. Thank you. Thank you both. 
Also joining us is Dr. Jeff Gentry. He is the Senior Vice President of Clinical Services at the Clarity Child Guidance Center. Clarity, if you've never heard of it, is the only nonprofit mental health treatment center for kids age 3 to 17 in South Texas. So, Dr. Gentry, we're going to start with you. We just want to say this outright. Ainsley is not a patient of hers, but the snippet that you heard right there, when you heard that, did you think that her experience describes what you're seeing in a lot of teenagers now? I'm on mute. Yeah, there um, you go. There you go. Yeah, sorry about that. No, I think that's that's consistent with my experience. Tally and I were just talking, and I do evaluations of teenagers and younger kids, and um, we see kids. I have seen kids who, without the pandemic, would have never needed to be seen by a mental health professional. I mean, kids who were gifted and talented who come to us just kind of not able to function. Um, so. And, and, you know, having the kind of experience of thoughts and contemplating methods and intention around self-harm and those kind of things. Yeah, we're going to get to more of the, of the why this is happening and delve deeper into that in just a second. But now we want to go to, to Tally. Yeah, Tally, the CDC says since the pandemic, hospital admissions for teenage girls who may have attempted suicide has increased by 50% across the country staggering when you think about that. Is this something we're also seeing locally? And if so, why? Um, so absolutely, we are seeing it locally. Um, I think there's a number of reasons why we're seeing this. Um, uh, Dr. Gentry and I were just talking about this. Um, we have just been through the most unprecedented time of our lives, and we did not have the tools to deal with that. So kids were in isolation and they weren't given the tools to know how to navigate the life that we were living in isolation and not being able to go to school or do the things that they had done before. So right now it, it's, it was the disruption of life, but then also having to get back to life and not really given the tools again. Uh, 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 somebody we were just talking about in kindergarten um, did not understand the rules of being in school and now they're in second grade and how are they supposed to function? So we're seeing kids younger and younger. And I think the reason why we're seeing girls, first of all, young women have always been able to speak out more than young men about having a mental illness. And so we, that is one of the reasons that we are seeing young women being more vocal and also um, presenting more in the hospital settings in ER. And I think um, Dr. Gentry can talk to a little bit more about that. But um, one of the things that the pandemic has done that I think is a very positive thing is that we are now open to talk about mental health in a different way. Um, we are now all able to share in a common experience. And I'll say we have um, lived through something um, that none of us knew how to do. So that is where mental health has now taken center stage with a lot of discussions. And see, seeing how mental health affects our physical health is so um, important. And, and that's why I think we are seeing more people coming and saying, I need help, because they're realizing and they're also able to um, see that people are trying very hard to destigmatize the, the way we look at mental health. 
So it's it's interesting. It's interesting, Tally, that you bring that up because when you talked about kindergarten and and kids not even knowing how to go to school yeah. and then they're expected to go back. I I think of my personal experience with my oldest daughter. You know, she went to school and she had a semester and a half on campus before she was pulled away for two years. So it's a, it just it just affects all of these kids in so many different ways. So I'm glad you brought up that kindergarten example because that was very interesting to me. Absolutely. And Dr. Gentry, I want to go back to something that that we mentioned before, and it's specifically the difference that we're seeing in the statistics between young boys and young girls. If we could bring up uh, that graphic right now so that people can know what we're referencing. Uh, The CS Mott Children's Hospital did a national poll last year and found that one in three teenage girls and one in five teen boys have experienced new or worsening anxiety since March of 2020. Why is it impacting girls more, or is this something that that Tally just mentioned a moment ago, which is that females are socialized to be more vocal if they're having mental health issues? Well, I think there's something to the idea about um, it, there being a gender factor. Uh, one of the things that I've learned over 26 years of doing this is that every kid is a snowflake, and um, but there are some trends, and I, I agree with what she's saying. Um, they're generally speaking in mental health problems and how they present. Um, girls tend to go toward what we call the internalizing side, where the the pain and the problems are internal, and you don't necessarily see everything that's going on. A lot of times with boys, the 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 behaviors, the the functional picture that you get is more externalizing kind of presentation, which is irritability. Um, withdrawal, crankiness, agitation, changes in self-care, and that kind of stuff. So it's kind of bumping up against the system a lot more, whereas with uh, girls, it tends to be a withdrawal. And you can see you can see the withdrawal. And it, it's also, it, it can be a disadvantage, particularly for younger boys who get labeled and get a target because they're difficult to manage at school Mm. when they're unhappy. Um, So that's another factor to keep in mind. What can parents learn from this? Tally, I'll open this up to you. You know, as they try to understand their children and the mystery that is the teenage brain for parents anyway, uh, how can parents talk to their kids about this? Because teenagers do have, you know, a tendency to be secretive. They have a tendency to keep things down low, maybe talk to the, maybe they're, sometimes they're not even talking to their friends about this. Yeah. Um, so one of the things is, is, is being, um, as an adult, is not being afraid or shying away from the word, I'm concerned about you, or is there something that we're not talking about? I think we see a lot of families, and this is a normal reaction. This is a human reaction. So I don't want anyone to think this is a judgment. But we, when we think that um, a child was having a bad day, okay, and so we see a child who's having a bad day, and then all of a sudden, the next day, they're actually presenting as they're okay. We sometimes want to sweep that under the rug mm. and not really see what's going on or looking at the bigger picture. We want to see one good day a lot of the time as the um, indicator for them being well where 90% of the time or more, that's not the case. So really having a discussion, talking about, I'm concerned that you, you can talk about things like, I'm concerned that you, are you gonna hurt yourself? 
Um, have you thought about hurting yourself? Have you thought about, you know, if they talk about dying or, or I don't want to be here, you have to take those words seriously. I, I want to tell you how many times, and I'm sure Dr. Gentry will talk a little bit about this, how many times parents have said, oh, that's just who they are. They're a kid. They're just an adolescent. That's all I'm hearing, you know. And I will tell you how many of those kids either are contemplating suicide or attempt suicide because they just mention those words. So listen to key phrases and have those open conversations. Um, it is a hard conversation to have. So what I also want to say is that there are resources out there. You have the National Suicide Hotline. You have um, the crisis text. Um, um, it's the crisis text line. You also have resources within your own community. You have something like Clarity. You can talk to your doctor and come up with a plan. But what I, I, I mean, I'm gonna continue to say this because I think we see this more often than not, is how many times we dismiss this as adolescent behavior mm -hmm. when actually a lot of these children and teenagers and young adults are suffering in silence. Is it, is it, also, is it also good advice for parents to be prepared to listen? Like just asking the question isn't really enough. I mean, we need to be prepared to yeah. listen to what our kids are saying. Absolutely, correct? absolutely. And hearing the words that they're saying. Yes. Uh, don't, I mean, I think we all wanna hear what we want to hear and that is a normal reaction. And of course, as parents, the thing is, is all you want is the best for your child and for your child not to hurt anymore. But at this time, really, especially if your child is presenting with different behaviors, whether they're isolating more, or they're not eating as much, or they stop talking to friends, really pay attention to that and then have a conversation. But don't let that conversation linger in your head and say, oh, I'll probably talk to them two weeks from now. Yeah, That doesn't work. You really want to take that as an urgent message. A change in behavior is an urgent message of your child trying to tell you something. Yeah, I often say I'd want to be as good a listener as I am a talker. I also want to point out that if, if you're wanting to ask questions right now, if you're watching us live, you can do that. Mm -hmm. Hashtag Steph and Steve. Uh, you can put that on social media and you can ask a question of our panelists now or some of our panelists later. Yeah, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. The other thing that we want to say is that th throughout this broadcast, you're going to see... Uh T information on your screen where we're giving you we're telling you where you can go to where you can go to get help for local maybe even national resources and that's occasionally going to pop up right there on on your screen and yeah there it is that's exactly what we're going to keep showing you throughout this broadcast because we really want it to be that if you feel like you need help this is where you go we're, we want to guide you in the right direction and so, and perhaps know you're not alone yes yes now dr Gentry, so we, we discussed, okay, in, in the abstract sort of parents having this conversation with their teenagers. What's the language that we should use when we approach our children? Because it's not the same thing as talking to our spouse or, or another friend. How do we start that conversation so that our kids feel like they, they can open up to us? Well, I think Tally had some good ideas. Um, I think it's it's important to be um, to be just as open as you can. And when I work with parents, and also when I work with therapists and other folks, 
um, helping people, um, I really focus on the idea. It's not what you tell the kid that matters. It's what you help them say that maybe they haven't said before and that they haven't heard themselves say before. So I think Steve's got the right idea. There's a lot of listening, but it's also a stance that you have to take that, okay, I'm dropping everything else right now. We're talking about you and I want to hear, um, and the message is, I, I want to hear, let me know how I can help you um, share with me what's going on with you. And um, to do a lot of listening and to ask five questions for every comment that you make, at least five questions and open-ended questions that um, show your, your concern and not your intention to drive the conversation and to be in charge of where it goes. Um, when you're really in tune, you don't know where it's going and you want to let it go wherever it can go. Um, and something else to think about, if a kid has talked about either having thoughts or contemplating a method or anything like that, one thing to keep in mind is the judgment of teenagers. They don't necessarily know what's lethal and what's not lethal. Yeah. And so when it comes to thinking about methods and things like that, they can make mistakes. And so that's why I think what Tally's saying about, you know, say, you know, I'm going to come back to this in a couple of weeks and see what's going on. Uh, you got to stay with it till you feel okay. And if a kid expresses um, a threat of self-harm or suicide, the way I was trained, you got to do something about that. That is, that's an, that's a cry. That's an outcry. And we don't necessarily know what it's an outcry about. It could be a ton of different things, but most of us as civilian parents are, are not equipped to do that kind of an assessment. You know, like I have an assessment tool here that I'll use with a kid I'm going to see tomorrow morning that's very specific and has a lot of research behind it, and it will help us get to what's going on. So um, if, you, if you're hearing an outcry, that's, you got to take that serious and, and, and um, be supportive, be open, be warm. I want to open up the, the floor to both of you uh, with a final question before we move on to more of Ainsley's interview. But, uh, Tally, if there's one thing you would tell parents out there, what would it be? That you're not alone, that there are resources out there for you um, right now, that you may feel because you're going through this right now with your child that you're the only one. But there are so many after, you know, the, the pandemic has shown a light on our mental health. It has shown a light on mental wellness and how we're supposed to take care of ourselves. And there is no right answers right now. Mm -hmm. But what we can do is get you professional help. There are a ton of resources. And, you know, it's not always the first time that you get it right. Um, and it's not one size fits all with mental health or anything right now. So again, don't, it's not about self-blame. It's not about telling yourself that you have to have the answers, but there are people who do and that you're not alone. Dr. Gentry. Um, I guess one thing that stands out for me is to think about how you're caring for yourself and where you're at with your own stress, mm. uh, where you, where you're getting your own support. Um, you know, that's, that's one thing that in talking about kids, a lot of times that we don't, don't really look at we're we're advising parents who have been through just as much as their kids have yeah. 
and um, as Tally was um, suggesting earlier, are not equipped. Um, you know, to be to have a kid who's in second grade who's functioning as a as a kindergarten kid, we just haven't dealt with that before, um, and so. I, I do think it's important to think about how we're getting our, as adults and as uh, parents, how we're getting our own support. All right. Well, thank you. Well, Tally, thank you so much for being with us. We're going to have to leave it there with you. But Dr. Gentry, we're going to need you to hold on and stick around uh, okay. with us for just a little bit sure. because uh, we're going to have, we're going to bring back Ainsley to hear more about her story because here's the thing for her things actually did start to get better. Yeah, in the next part of our conversation, she talks about the steps she took to help with her mental illnesses. So I started taking care of myself, different self-care. It could be reading, it could be drawing, coloring, yoga, um, just taking a bath at night before you go to bed. And I utilize those every day. And the most important part about it is to remember that putting yourself first does not always mean that you're being selfish. You know, in order to heal, uh, put the problem at hand, you know, front and center. So you you dealt with uh, a lot of this depression, a lot of these issues pre-COVID. What we're looking at now is there is a startling number of, of teenage girls attempting to commit suicide or just having suicidal ideation. Could you give us any insight, do you think, into why that's happening now yeah. like, with COVID? Like, and how do you think COVID uh, affected that? 11 months after, you know, the world shut down was the last time that I tried to take my life. And looking back on it and growing from that, you know, there's a, there's a lot of reasons one with isolation you lose a sense of belonging and need and desire for in the world which completely damages your self-esteem and your self-worth what would your advice to parents be because it seems like you're on the mend and things are better for you how could you what advice would you give them for starters be patient um, that's all you can do. It's not something that's healed overnight. Just like cancer isn't gone in a day. Depression and anxiety and eating disorders, they are diseases. They're brain diseases that alter the way your brain functions. Hmm. Now, as we continue our conversation on teens and how the pandemic has impacted their mental health, we're going to bring in our friend, you're probably familiar with him by now, DeMonte Alexander. Yeah, he's part of the Breakdown Power Panel. He's a public affairs consultant. He is the government affairs manager at VIA. He's also a U.S. Army war veteran. Our other guest, Dr. Gentry, sticking around, too, for this conversation. And uh, DeMonte... You wanted to be sure I pointed out that you're an Army war veteran uh, when it comes to issues like PTSD and depression. Was there anything about Ainsley's story that stuck out to you? Hey, Steve. Stavanya, uh, thanks for the invite. Dr. Jeff, good to see you again. Um, yeah, Steve, you know, I, I have a 10-year-old daughter. And uh, when she said she was a cheerleader, she was always smiling, you know, doing all the things that, kids those age do. Uh, my daughter's in Girl Scouts and dance. 
you know, you would never, you would never think that 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 could be your daughter. And so, when she said that, I immediately thought about my my ten year old, and that could be her. And you, all these different thoughts started running through your mind about, well, man, have I have I ignored some of those signs? And so, um, I know Stefania mentioned, you know, from a public relations standpoint, um, you know, what what would I do, or what would I, how how would I handle it? And I think the answer is just tell your story because stories change hearts and minds and uh, the more that you talk about it the more people that that uh, you're able to express those things to you know they're compelled to help or compelled to change or even what i'm hearing from dr gentry and tally is just listening and so uh, i i mean uh, every part of her story resonated with me i was hanging on every word thank you demonte now dr gentry we want to bring you in uh for this because whenever we discuss, and by we, I mean the media, uh, the subject of suicide, it, it gets kind of dicey. There's a very delicate line that we have to walk, and that is because a numerous organizations have called out the media, you know, news programs, television shows, and things like that, because of the way that sometimes we handle media, because the way that it is perceived by teenagers and children, they might not understand the permanence of it. And so I'll give you an example. If you remember a few years ago, there was that show 13 Reasons Why on Netflix, and that started a huge debate uh, because one of the characters does uh, take her own life. And people, people said, you know, it seems like the show is glamorizing suicide because teenagers don't necessarily get the permanence of it. So how do we tackle this subject, Dr. Gentry, without seeming like we're glamorizing suicide or giving anybody ideas? I believe you're on mute. I'm new at this. <laughs> it's all right. So um, the 13 Reasons, it's a dramatic presentation. It's drama. Um, and so... There's not a lot that we can do about that. I, I think there's a big difference between drama and information that's accurate. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people have some people have concerns that if we talk about um, what's going on with suicide risk and, and things related to that, that we're going to get kids started thinking about that. And that's just not true. It's just not true. A kid who's not... Um, thinking about suicide and and has has reasons to live and is mental, mentally healthy is not going to be swayed by information about facts of what's going on. Um, they could be um, somewhat touched by a dramatic presentation, particularly if it's overly dr dramatized one way or another and doesn't have um, a foundation, of, a good foundation of truth that's built on, uh, you know, how mental health really works. So I think in terms of media, it, it makes a big difference whether we're talking about drama or we, we're talking about public service. Okay, so speaking of, so now that since we're a news organization here, how do you think we should present the subject uh, moving forward? Because there has been research into suicide clusters. Yeah, clusters are, are rare. I mean, they do happen. Um, but I think that can also be related to how the local community, whether it's a school community um, or a part of a town or a locale, um, I think it's important to, to, to be honest and to be accurate. Right. 
you know, to be honest and to be accurate and to be realistic and to try to avoid drama. And I know of a, of a group where there was a suicide recently and the parents were having a hard time not sort of uh, overreacting and sort of stirring things up because of their own anxiety. Mm -hmm. And so I think um, as far as the media, I think being accurate, um, avoiding sensationalism, sensationalism, um, and and avoiding exploitation of, of kids' stories is is the main thing. But to share what's accurate and what's meaningful and comes from places like the CDC. Yeah, I I, I tend I, I agree with you one hundred percent because there's so many things I think that are tough issues that we we have to talk about them though. Mm-hmm. De- DeMonte, I want to bring you in on this on this part of the conversation. I mean, I think there are certain things that you know, you've been a part of the discussions that we've had here at KSAT on some very difficult discussions. I mean, this one's certainly right there when we're talking about mental health and our kids and really our own mental health. We have to talk about it. Right. Well, I mean, we have to talk about it. I mean, we've, we've seen, uh, I know we're, this is not the segment for that, but we've seen the multiple mass shootings. We've seen right. all the different issues that have popped up that we've, uh, we've reverted back to mental illness being the issue. And we've seen some strides and some steps in that direction. But I think what, what Stefania was asking me before is what are some of the things that we can do? Uh, from a policy standpoint, we know that, um, you know, suicide prevention is everyone's business, right? It doesn't matter if you are a baker or if you are a, a congressman or, or whoever, like suicide prevention, prevention it, it is your business. And one of those things I'll speak to is the National Alliance on Mental Illness. You know, um, they were advocating for uh, the three-digit 988 reimagined crisis response line, right? So you can just text. So that's something legislatively you could do. Uh, you know, a lot of people say, what what can you do from a legislative or advocacy standpoint? But there's a lot of things you can do because policy Public policy impacts people, right? And so, especially people with mental illness in, in, in many ways, uh, from healthcare to housing to criminalization, we've seen all of that. And so, you know, people with mental health, they deserve affordable and comprehensive healthcare, just like you and I. Um, access to supports that promotes wellness and mental health treatment and all those different things. Uh, I, like you mentioned before, I am a veteran. I served in a war um, that, that was very, very difficult. I had a hard time adjusting when I got home. Uh, still have I still have trouble with it, but I found things to um, to get involved with that helps helps me with that. And uh, I can speak to um, what Dr. Gentry was saying earlier about you know let's not be afraid to talk about it. You know, a lot of times we're, we're reaching out and asking for help for those individuals to uh, give us give us give us make it okay to talk about it uh, because yeah. when you guys were talking about. Um, how uh, women are more um, uh, likely to come out and, and talk about it. You know, in the military, for example, mm-hmm. you know, you're taught to be tough and, you know, sh- uh, you know, um, uh, suck it up and move on. And I think that's similar to what we're experiencing from boys. And well, so and it's su- hard. suicide rates that we've seen with veterans have also skyrocketed yes. in this whole thing. Right. And so it's it's just a stigma that you have to be tough and and any sign of any sign of expressing yourself and. And emotions and seen as weakness. And I think that's something we're seeing 
publicly with our boys and our, and our team, especially our teen boys. So, DeMonte, I, I just want to go to something else because you have a, a – the reason that we brought you in here is because of your perspective. You, you, you've done PR work. You served in the U.S. Army. You have been open about your struggles with PTSD. So if you're thinking moving on from tonight because what we want to do is, is help people and, and kind of guide parents if they want to have – if they're going to have this discussion with their children, what – would you tell them works since it's it's since that since that's in your wheelhouse, you know, providing uh, messages and really communicating with people? Well, it's what I alluded to earlier is is telling those stories. And actually, Dr. Gentry mentioned this is having substantive information and very accurate information that's not uh, over politicized, over dramatized. Right. It's it's about giving the facts and the information about what's out there, even if I was on this panel tonight. I'm glued to every single word you guys are saying because I'm a parent with two girls, right? And so having this type of platform with, with, with the experts that are on that deal with this on a daily basis for decades dealing with this, it gives you a sense of, uh, it brings a sense of credibility uh, to, the, to the segment to where parents can really take that information and, and figure out ways how they can help their own children. I, I have a question that, that I really want to open it to either Dr. Gentry or yourself, DeMonte. If you're a parent and you're at home right now and you're like, yeah, I know there's help out there, but can I afford it? Yes. Are we doing enough as a community to help people afford mental help? Is there, is there advice out there? Are there places to go that people can get this kind of advice? I'll let Dr. Gentry start that. Well, <clears throat> I... I use the sacred.org community resource directory a lot with people because it's so zip code oriented and it has a mental health section that's sacred. It's S-A-C-R-D.org. It is a terrific, it's the best I've seen in terms of a resource directory for the community. And so you can find mental health resources in your zip code with that and also help with uh, financial issues, including related to mental health. It's, it covers um, a huge area geographically and very specifically. So that's a, that's a resource that, that I really recommend. I think there's also American Foundation for Suicide Prevention um, that has very resourceful information there. But to, to, to the other side of your point, Steve, this is why, you know, which sometimes this topic can come very political in terms of um, uh, just health care in general. Mm. Um, who's paying for it? How much does it cost? And, you know, it can become very politicized. And so I think just like another, a lot of the other spaces, we need more bridge builders to come to the table and talk about, you know, um, some of these issues that are affecting all of us, not only just us, but our kids, too. And so, um, you know, like I said, this is one of those issues that can become very, very politicized. And as we can see, the impacts of being stagnant on public policy and and the impacts of that when it comes to our mental health, especially with our little ones. Yeah. And and just learning how we deal with mental health in a pandemic and, you know, out of a pandemic. And, you know, there's so many variables out there. But that's my concern. Is this is is this becoming too politicized? Can we just agree on the fact that we need these kind of resources for people who may not be able to afford it through their insurance in other ways. Now, Dr. Gentry, let's bring you in to talk about that because uh, we mentioned before clarity, maybe for a lot of people who haven't heard of this uh, guidance center. Could you tell us about it and the work that you're doing to help kids as young as from three years old uh, all the way to to teenagers? Well, clarity is... um, 
we were founded in 1886 as an orphanage. We're one of the first not-for-profit charters in Texas from 1887. And then so we've transitioned over time from orphanage and foster care in the early 70s to mental health care. Um, We're uh, 66-bed child and adolescent uh, psychiatric hospital, a partial day program that serves about 30 kids a day. And then we have outpatient services that um, serve thousands of kids every year. Um, so because we're private and not-for-profit, um, ability to pay is not an issue. Um, our, our biggest issue is capacity. And yeah. Tally and I were talking about this before we, we came on, that um, we are running at capacity, and that's a real challenge for us. And we're trying to figure out how to gear up and increase capacity Um but in terms of ability to pay at our place, that's that's not an issue. Yeah. yeah, doctor, I think I was out there five or 10 years ago when you opened a new wing out there uh, for more hospital beds. Yeah. And even before it was open, it was full. Yes. That shows you. Yes, and we're 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 right now contemplating working on a plan to expand further. Yeah. Yeah. Which tells you the need is out there. The need is definitely out there. Demonte, is it something that you that you'd like to add to this discussion? Because we know that when we talk about teenagers, also mental health issues. Uh, when you talk about minorities, this is a completely different issue. It's just um, for a lot of African Americans and Hispanics, it's just difficult to go there. And that's because also a lot of parents, when you have that discussion about medication, they they automatically shut it down. They say, "I don't want my kid on medication." Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's a real thing, you know, and um, I, just, I know this is probably a larger conversation, but, you know, they say, you know, uh, you know, racism is a public health crisis, right? I'm not, you know, again, that, we have to unpack all of that, too. But when, you, when you're talking about the minority community, uh, the minority communities that have been disadvantaged in terms of health care, you know, that's a real conversation to have. And there's a lot of unpacked stigma that comes from that too. Even when you saw that with the vaccine, you know, there's a lot of people who look like me uh, who, who did not want to take a vaccine for obvious reasons and for valid reasons. And so it takes, again, education um, and um, people willing to come to the table to talk um, sense to some of the nonsense that's going on around misinformation. But I think more importantly is, is just continue to advocate, continue to use platforms like this to, um, to spread the word as much as possible about the resources that are out there. I've been very, very, from, uh, I've known about Clarity for a long time. A good friend of mine, Michelle Brown, uh, mm-hmm. uh, was always advocating for for Clarity uh, many years ago. So again, I, I think it'll take another segment on its own, Stefania, to talk about uh, the minority communities when it comes to healthcare. But I think we're, we're on the way and we're doing a good job so far. Can yeah. I add just one thing about that? Absolutely. Um, so we're probably 70 to 80 percent of our treatment population is a Medicaid. And so we we serve that population in a big way all the time. And just my experience is in terms of Medicaid as, um, you know, providing the foundation for us to provide treatment. I have no problem with them. Um and I probably get, would get in trouble if I said um, I'd rather work with them than some commercial um, outfits. 
But I feel really good about that in terms of the specific thing we do of providing hospitalization for kids who are actually having serious meltdowns and are at high risk. Um, we are kind of able to do what we need to do with those kids, and, and I feel really fortunate for that. Yeah, I just wish there were there was more capacity at Clarity or more programs yes. like Clarity out there. DeMonte, I, 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 I want to ask you a final question here. Um, and, and I always say asking for help is not a weakness. As a matter of fact, asking for help shows just how strong you are. I, your message to people who are watching out there who are maybe, maybe struggling with mental health illness, illness or they have a kid that is. Uh, that's exactly what I learned tonight is that we need to, we need to we need to check ourselves as parents and really really pay attention to our kids. Um, I know it's tough. Um, some people are working two jobs. Uh, some people are working long hours. Some people are working remote. I mean, just you know, traveling. But you know, even even me, I had to take a step back tonight and realize, okay, man, you're busy, but you know, you have kids that need you. And they need you to listen to them and and, uh, and 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 proactively listen to them and the needs that they have. And so I think that's the message that I, I, I send out tonight is just, man, take some time to really, really um, spend some time with your kids um, to listen to them. And um, so you won't regret it, you know. Final word, Dr. Gentry, before we go. Yeah, I would just say wherever you can, try to uh, fill in routine and... Um, um, rewards that are social, that kind of thing. You know, one of the things that's broken down is our systems for providing and stimulating social development, family development and togetherness and school development. You know, those things that are rewarding to us and, and, and instill motivation to do and to be um, have kind of broken down. And just one simple example is like when I work, when I do an evaluation with a kid who's obviously having trouble with sleep, I recommend uh, to parents get a sleep tracker, get the sleep tracker that you can afford and help become more aware. That's giving feedback, feedback and trying to be more regular with a process. Um, so whether it's eating, whether it's uh, physical activity, whether it's doing things together, look for opportunities to have some kind of, of rhythm about the kind of things you do and to, to increase satisfaction and motivation. And put down your phones. I guess that's the main thing also as we spend time together. So put, that we're actually put, able to communicate. Yeah, put your phone in the refrigerator. That's a good place for it sometimes. All right, <laughs> Dr. Gentry and DeMonte, thank you so much, both of you, for being here today and taking part in this very important discussion. And for everybody out there, we so want to thank you for joining us tonight for this special edition of Breakdown with Steph and Steve as we tackle this issue of mental health with teenagers. And if you missed any part of tonight's show, you can catch it online at ksat.com. It will be available there. We will be replaying the show uh, on there, on ksat.com and on our streaming platforms. You can find it there. Again, thank you to Dr. Gentry and DeMonte. Appreciate your time, guys. I think I'm going to go home and hug my daughter tonight. <laughs> no yeah. doubt, no doubt. Yeah. Everybody have a great night. Good night.